Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Admiral Mark Norman joins us, uh, former commander of the Royal Canadian Navy, former vice chief of staff for the Canadian Armed Forces, and Canada has settled on the purchase of 88 F-35 fighter planes. We've talked to the Admiral before about the procurement process for the military, the federal government purchasing equipment for the CAF, why the F-35s now and not seven years ago, and what else does the CAF require immediately in an increasingly dangerous world? Admiral Norman, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm really well, Roy, and good afternoon to you and your listeners. Um, Looking forward to our discussion. May I ask you first for your reaction as a as a lifelong member of the military for just your reaction to what Russia has been doing to Ukrainians and to Ukraine? Yeah, well, we've discussed this before, but sadly, it just continues to get worse. It's atrocious. Um, it is absolutely unprovoked, unnecessary, and unacceptable. Um, and uh, like uh, all of your listeners, I, I just am truly... Um, disgusted by what is happening and the impact it's having on the Ukrainian people and, uh, sadly, uh, the long-term impacts it's going to have on their country, I'm sure. Yeah. And the worldwide spotlight is on the Russians, and they don't seem to care a bit about about that. Admiral, let's talk about this, uh, the purchase of the F-35 for Canada's military. 88 of them will be coming. They'll start to arrive, I believe, in 2025. What's the importance of this particular purchase nationally and internationally? Well, I, I think the first thing is that it's a long overdue decision to replace the uh, aging uh, F-18 fleet that we've been operating since the early 1980s. Uh, the second thing I would say is that it is a long overdue reflection of uh, necessity to invest in the armed forces, and this is a good signal. And I think it's also an important signal to our allies that uh, we um, are basically prepared to work with uh, dozens of them as partners uh, in this very important international program, uh, which is producing the F-35 um, for um, a variety of different customers around the world. The allies are allies. NATO are very happy with us. They... I think some of them were actually very unhappy with us, with the lack of material that we had and what we could provide to an international military obligation. Um, did you uh, did you feel that when, when you were uh, uh, leading the Royal Canadian Navy? Did you have a sense that, the, the, that our allies were thinking, come on, Canada, step up to the plate? Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, the, the reactions uh, came in a, variety of different ways, but fundamentally, um, on a sort of uh, individual soldier-to-soldier, sailor-to-sailor, ship-to-ship level, um, the participation of Canada in international operations was hugely appreciated and highly respected. Um, As as things became more strategic and more political, however, uh, there were always concerns about um, Canada's uh, bench strength, I guess, is the best way to describe it for your listeners. Um, the extent to which we might have to be reliant on other uh, 
um, allied capabilities uh, if, if we had to work together for extended periods of time. And, of course, at the political level is the issue of, of, uh, of defense spending and whether it was or was not sufficient on a go-forward basis. Okay. And, and we can look at both sides of the, uh, the House because successive governments didn't do what they should have done for the Canadian military. I think political considerations came before the military considerations. Anyone I've talked about this, we everybody in the Canadian military is a volunteer. So if our young men and women volunteer to wear the, the, the Canadian flag shoulder badge and they're willing to go into battle and willing to sacrifice their lives for this country, they deserve the very best in the way of equipment that we can provide for them and, and not make do with old stuff or not have enough stuff they deserve the very best. Admiral, what, what's your sense about what this this um, decision to purchase the F-35s may mean? Do you think there'll be a speeding up of procurement? And and I'm bunching a bunch of questions here. We'll, we'll end with this one. What else do we need, like submarines? Well, I mean, the the list of things that is needed, um, sadly, would, would take you and I uh, a bit longer than we've got this afternoon. So let me park that for the moment. I'll come back to it. Um, you know, what does this mean and what does it signal? I would not read too much into this, sadly. Uh, I wish I could tell your listeners that this was um, a watershed moment in terms of uh, Canadian defence procurement, but uh, it, it, it's not. Um, there are far more things that are required than um, are currently acknowledged publicly. And um, I, I don't think that uh, we're going to see a massive change in the way that things are um, delivered. Th- this program is an interesting example, the F-35, because as I mentioned, um, we, we are, are, we're already part of this consortium. Uh, we'll now be more actively engaged as uh, now declared um, purchasing partners. Um, and there's advantages to that because the production is already underway. Um, we can schedule our buy uh, schedule into the broader uh, program. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of advantages to that. We're now part of a, a much deeper um, uh, supply system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that may allow us to actually get some airplanes faster than we would otherwise um, but that should not be misinterpreted. And I guess the other thing I would say is that going back to your the second part of your question, um, as, as we potentially see um, an increased uh, shopping list, if I can put it that way, um, we, we have to be very careful that it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that the equipment that's necessary is actually going to be delivered. It just means we're adding more things to a shopping list of equipment which is being delivered in a timely fashion. So uh, I don't want to sound cynical or negative, but unless we make some fundamental changes, um, all we're doing is making the list longer, more expensive, and it's just going to take that much longer to actually deliver the equipment. I got it. So it's in the shopping cart, but nobody's trotted out the uh, the visa number yet. Well, and, and even if the money is there, and I, and I would suggest it is, part of the challenge here is, is capacity, part of the challenge is process, part of the challenge um, is that uh, w- we, we make lots of promises, and you're right, it, this is not um, the fault of one government over another, uh, it tends to be um, a common pattern, lots of promises, and then 
uh, we don't actually deliver um, all the time, or if we do, it takes much longer than it needs to. Right. Let me ask you about, uh, let's take you back into the uh, RCN days. What about submarines? Uh, how necessary are they in this fractious world? And you've talked to us uh, for several years now about how fractious the world is and what the danger uh, how dangerous a world it is, and we're seeing this now happen, as you described. Where do submarines fit into the overall need for the Canadian military and the security of this country? Okay, so um, it should come as no surprise to you or your listeners that I would categorize um, submarines as an essential capability for any country that uh, has, has uh, maritime, and by that I mean um, aquatic interests, oceans, in other words, and that uh, um, it would be an essential capability for a Navy like the RCN. But why? I think that's the important discussion. Fundamentally, the submarine can do a whole variety of um, really important things, but it serves a very important primary purpose, and that is to control water space. Um, And if you imagine... um, water space going from the surface of the ocean down to uh, the, the bottom of the ocean. Um, you can put ships on the top of it and you can put aircraft above them and you can have sonar systems that can go into the water to some degree. But fundamentally, uh, you can't control that column of water space that, that that is so important in naval operations um, if you're not actually in it. And uh, the way that you're in it is in a submarine. Um, and uh, if, if we ever uh, wish or intend to um, control water, our own territorial waters, or potentially the need to go elsewhere around the world and control a body of water, even if it's just temporarily, um, the only really effective way of doing that at the moment and for the foreseeable future, and by that I mean decades uh, into the future, despite advancements in technology, is the submarine. Right. So that's a long answer, and we can unpack that uh, more at some point if you'd like. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.